It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listen to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings. Great deal going on. Put in five bucks on these NBA games. You can bet on the Suns and DeAndre Ayton. Get $150 in free plays if you're a new customer. Now, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Ryan Hansen, who has maybe the coolest job in the world. Oh, and also has another cool job as well. Ryan, real quick, what else do you do out there? Because I don't think a lot of people know you got a side side hustle as well. Yeah, and it really is my daily hustle, and and that is I'm the president of Bon Voyage Travel, a local travel agency in Tucson specializing in vacation planning. So I'm planning trips for for people, our company, for people all over the globe. Uh, and then my moonlighting gig is uh, broadcast partner of Brian Jeffries for Arizona Men's Basketball. So I've got a pretty sweet job. I get to travel the world on my day job and follow the cats and sit courtside on my night job at doesn't get much better than that. How can they get in touch with you at Bon Voyage Travel? People are traveling now again. They they sure are. So the best way, if you want to reach out, just email me. That's probably the best. And then I can get you to the right uh, advisor that's got the specialty. So email me at rhansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, rhansen at bvtravel.com or uh, follow me on Twitter, UA Rhino. That's U-A-R-Y-N-O, UA Rhino. And you just direct message me on on Twitter and we'll we'll get it going. All right, Rhino. At this time last year, Arizona basketball, you got a coaching change. Um, you know, uh, James Akinjo, who was probably your best player the previous year, has moved on to Baylor. A lot of uncertainty. My, how things can change in just a year sitting here. Obviously, some roster turnover, but fair to say we're on some better, we're on some more solid footing than we were at this time last year. 
uh, understatement of the year, right, is to think back to where we were, where we were coming from, uh, the prospects of our future. Uh, I think you and I may have talked very recent after the Tommy Lloyd hire and said, good hire. We like this guy. We like what we've seen. We like his history. I don't think anyone could have predicted uh, the success that we've seen on the court. I think we would have would have definitely seen the chemistry, the culture, the style of play, the the imprint of what Tommy Lloyd wanted to do at Arizona was going to happen. But was that going to result in wins? Was that going to result in in as exciting a basketball as immediate as it did? I don't think anybody could have predicted that. And for me, as I've stepped back from the season, uh, I you and I know this uh, one. I would have taken a Sweet 16 loss if you would have predicted it this time last year all day, right? Pac-12 title, Pac-12 tournament title, throw that in for sure. But you get greedy. You get greedy because you know it doesn't happen every every year. You get greedy because you know it's hard uh, to do. Uh, And so while I'm still disappointed that we didn't advance further, I am absolutely positively thrilled with the direction of the program and, and the leadership at hand. You know, some some guys just get it. You were fortunate enough to be on, you know, teams busting Reggie Geary for a three pointer in practice. One time, one time. Hey, it doesn't matter. I didn't. I didn't put a plural on there. But uh, Lute Olson was a guy that you could just tell, even from afar, just got it. He understood recruiting. He understood coaching. He understood everything that went with it. Tommy Lloyd obviously is different, but when you watch him, when you watch how he coaches, when you watch the player development, the interaction. The best thing that I can describe is that he just looks like a guy that gets it, Rhino. The more time you spend with Tommy, you understand the vision, uh, the communication ability that he has. Uh, The guy understands uh, the game and how to communicate to kids, uh, but also with everything that's swirling in college basketball and in college athletics right now, from NIL to transfer portal to how do you recruit in this day and age, Uh, The more time I've spent with him, which I've been fortunate to spend quite a bit of time with him, you understand that he's got a blueprint and a and a plan that I think all Wildcat fans are proud of and will be will be proud of moving forward as all these these changes and nuances to to how college basketball is structured. Even even a handful of years ago, it's it's on its head from there. Tommy is level headed uh, and has a plan and is sticking to it. The one thing now, I want to talk a little bit about the guys that have moved on, and then we'll talk about the roster. Ben Matherin to me has a very interesting legacy here, and that you can easily make the case that Ben Matherin is the best perimeter player at Arizona in the last ten years. Um, you know, certainly some people could say, you know, T.J. McConnell obviously has a lot of supporters. I'm not going to argue with any of that, but Ben Matherin is right there. He was also there for the reemergence of Arizona at the highest level of basketball. It's a unique legacy that I think when people look at Matherin five, six years, and obviously it'll be uh, buoyed if he has a great NBA career, this is a guy that I think time is going to be very kind to, Rhino. I I completely agree. You said TJ McConnell. I would throw in Nick Johnson in the last Mm -hmm. 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not his pro career, but what did he do for Arizona at that time when Arizona needed to be put on the basketball map? He was the Pac-12 player of the year. Uh, His junior year led us to to a couple of back-to-back elite eights. So he had some yeah, incredible stats, incredible success. Not the Mount Rushmore uh, when you get to taking to Final Fours and national titles, but in the last 10 years – 
Uh, I do agree that Ben Matherin uh, has been a key component to the renaissance of Arizona basketball. He is the type of player that Arizona basketball is built upon, right? The, the multidimensional athletic wing well who loves to play up tempo. Uh, he's going to have a game that translates in the NBA. So I do think you're right in that manner. He's going to, to transcend Arizona basketball in the next level to continue that brand for Arizona in the professional ranks. Uh, and much like I think a lot of people look back on Derek Williams as the key guy that got us back going when Sean mm-hmm. first started. Uh, and maybe that's that's waned a little bit because D. Will's professional career has led him across the pond versus right. in the NBA. I think Ben Matherin is in kind of that mold where he's not at the Sean Elliott, Steve Kerr, you know, Miles Simon level uh, right. of, of success and honor at Arizona. But Ben carried himself well. He was articulate. Uh, he was a coachable player. He was a likable guy in an Arizona uniform. And while it was only two years, I think his legacy is cemented. What really impressed me, too, you don't see a lot of times, and I've always felt that ball handling and being able to beat a guy off the dribble with kind of the wiggle with your handle, I've always felt that that's something you're a little bit born with. He broke the mold with that one, Rhino. He was kind of, again, it's not that he couldn't dribble, but he was your finisher. He was your three-point shooter. He came back this year, and he was able to pull up from 15. He was able to get where he wanted off the bounce, which I think is, first of all, a testament to his legacy and only improves his NBA prospects right there. That's where I think he really separated himself. Yeah, there's just no doubt that uh, sitting in the corner, hitting threes, finishing at a high level, right? We knew he's a highlight dunker, uh, is going to put you on on a higher level. Uh, but his ability to grow his game and and really evolve it, and, and you touched on kind of some things of ball handling, playmaking, distributing down the stretch. I think I was on with you uh, in the month of February, and we started mm-hmm. to look at, well, gosh, look at Ben Matherin's assist numbers. Right, He's creating and being the primary facilitator in a lot of cases for Arizona to grow your game from one year to the next in a new system. Uh, is testament to his hard work, his development. Obviously, the coaching staff uh, deserves that as well. But that right there puts Ben as a lottery pick now instead of a late first rounder. I think he's a late first rounder based on talent, skill, knockdown shots, uh, athleticism, length. All those things put him in the first round. What I think puts him in the lottery are the things you touched on. Christian Coloco now, I think he holds the the mantle of one of the most improved pl- big men from one season to the next. We were talking. I was talking with AJ Bramlett a while uh, a while back. Mm-hmm. AJ Bramlett to me is the guy that improved most in just one season. <laughs> you were right there, where you know people are talking. Hey, are these big men even good enough? And then by the time the tournament hits, he's leading the league in rebound or leading the tournament in rebounding. Uh, AJ Bramlett, Jordan Hill. And Christian Coloco, to me, are kind of that triumvirate right there where one year or even half of a season and you're just looking at a totally different player. And I think he leaves he, I think he leaves a unique legacy as well in that regard. I'll throw in one more name that took longer, but it was over the course of four years in the uh-huh. big man category. And that'd be Channing Fry. Channing, Fry. Channing uh, evolved from no one even thought he could play at Arizona. Uh, and Coloco probably in that same vein right. out of high school. It took uh, Channing four years to become a lottery pick. So give him his props on that. But I think you're you're touching on uh, the same type of character traits that we've seen in Ben, right? Christian 
asserted himself, had some setbacks, had challenges, missed free throws as a game-winning opportunity as a sophomore mm-hmm. or as a freshman, uh, but then turned himself into a game-changer. He wasn't just a suitable big man. He wasn't just a guy you could go to in spots, but he's a game-changing defender. Uh, and you touched on, you think of Lauren Woods as a shot blocker, probably the best shot blocker yeah, in Arizona no history. Doubt. Coloco right there, right behind mm-hmm. him. Right. Anthony Cook. In, in AC that somewhere round, there too. Right? Yeah. Uh, but Jordan Hill, from a rebounding standpoint, you, you throw in Coloco and what he was able to do. Maybe not as dominant as Jordan on the glass, but none of those guys, none of them could guard one through five. Right. And Coloco not only could, but was called upon and strategized as such. He was a chess piece that I am I believe was as critical as a component down the stretch for Arizona defensively as almost anything they had, to, especially when you look at trying to beat UCLA for the first time in six they got him on Jaime Hawkins. You got him on Jaime Hawkins and relatively speaking. Shut him down. I mean, right. it, you're not going to shut down Hawkins, and we're probably we're going to see him what for another <laughs> right. year. And I, and you and I will be wishing we had Coloco defensively to just switch out on him and take him out of his game. That is is so unique for Coloco. I'm already missing that right. uh, as as an option for us uh, for for next year. All right, I'm certainly never the guy that's going to tell any player what to do because, quite frankly, they're a Division One player. I'm not a Division One player. Dalen Terry, though, I think has the world to gain by coming back. I've always felt Dalen's an NBA player, um, even back when I saw him, you know, in high school. But if Dalen Terry comes back, you're looking at a guy that I think Tommy Lloyd is the perfect coach for because he's going to put the ball in his hands. He's going to facilitate and. I think you could be looking at kind of that Andre Iguodala type stat line from Iggy's sophomore year where 14 points, six and a half rebounds, five and a half assists, flirting with a triple-double. I just don't like seeing guys sell themselves short because you look at the the mock drafts right now and, you know, kind of that second-round pick. I mean, Rhino, you're up close. This man has first-round talent and clear first-round talent. I think he's got a lot to gain by coming back. Instead of pointing to the second-round anomalies of Draymond Green and Gilbert Arenas, right. uh, that's where he is right now. Truth mm-hmm. be told, he's probably not a first-rounder in this draft. So instead of pointing to those guys and saying, I'm going to be like them, right, let's pick two guys, right. let's look at the vast majority of the guys who are in his situation that come back and make the leaps and bounds that we believe he can because of who he is, because of the coaching staff, because of the style of play. I have no doubt he is, is in my mind, he's a middle of the first round guy this time next year with the potential to move up if he can become a reliable 15 point a game scorer. And potentially that's where it's like in any given game, could he be a 25 point scorer and bounce up? He could do that. He becomes a lottery pick. Uh, but Dalen's upside for what the NBA is, there's no doubt he's an NBA player, but I think the road for him is much more challenging if he leaves this year. I just, it, that one more year sets himself up, and Luke talked about this all the time. It's not about where you get drafted, it's not about which team you go to, it's how can I make this a 10 year career? And if you look at it, the 10 year career guys, they're special. And he's special, but I think that one more year is gets him there. 
Let's talk about how he would fit into next year's team. But first, got to pay the bills real quick. DraftKings Sportsbook app. Code word PHNX, Rhino. Put in five bucks. You got $150 in free place. New customers only. Eligibility restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. You know, I actually made a pretty good pick here, I think. I picked the Miami Heat before the season to win the NBA title at pretty good mm-hmm. odds. You know, if you think I'm an idiot, if you think I'm an idiot, go against me. If you think that I'm smart, go for me. Your call, DraftKings Sportsbook app. All right, Rhino. I'm going to throw a starting lineup at you next year where you got okay. Kurt Parisa, Pella Larson, Dalen Terry, Ajulis Tabellis, and uh, Umar Ballo, and maybe an addition right there. What does that feel to you like? Is that a top 15, a top 20? What is that just initial initial thoughts? Okay, I'll always go back to players are going to get better. How much better will they get, right? That, that's probably right. the biggest question in this case. So when I look at that roster, for sure, it's a, it's a surefire top 25 team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the experience, the level of IQ, seeing what we believe Pella Larson can become and we know and and you've got a uh, an individual stake in Pella Larson becoming a better player we know nope. that yeah my bad Pella <laughs> um I, I think he's gonna make a huge step uh, I think we look at Umar Balo as golly look at where he came from what we thought he would be to this year can he make similar strides I'm confident Azulis Debellis is in the weight room. I know for a fact he is improving and working on his game very hard. That guy is a hardworking guy. So can he become your go-to guy? I think he's got the skill level to be a very, very good college player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this roster, but I think there there are some off-season acquisitions that are still in the pipeline mm-hmm. that need to happen for Arizona to make the jump. I I when I look at the roster, I see, uh, you know, there's some new size coming in. Is there enough in its current right. construction? Uh, do we need another big? And I, I believe there there is more opportunity there. And I think you you know where I'm going with yeah. that. But I also think there's some potential transfer portal opportunities that the guys uh, are honing in on that could help us. I'd like another score. Right. Uh, I don't think you're you're not going to replace Ben Matherin's. Uh, point production with one guy. It's not going to be, well, this guy's going to become the 18 point scorer and everybody else will just trickle up. I think it's going to be by committee. Right. Uh, But I do think they need another viable scoring punch. And when you think of the losses of Ben and Christian, let's not lose sight of the loss of Justin Kyer as well. Mm -hmm. Off the bench, that perimeter score, defender, leader, Who's going to evolve into that role or take up those responsibilities? Uh, I know they're looking at some options uh, for either freshman opportunities or does Adama Ball become more of that offensive punch, which for what we saw from him down the stretch offensively, if he can be that guy for the Wildcats, I'm kind of intrigued by what Adama could become for Arizona. There's not a lot of a large sample size, but what we saw down the stretch was was very intriguing. You know what? You know what? I've I I kind of compared that a little bit to when towards the end of JT's freshman year, where Lute tries sneaking him into the uh, starts sneaking him in at the end of games right there. I think that actually I think that was the uh, the Ben Davis team, and right. uh, you start getting him in there because 
you know you've got a role for him. Coaches who are competing for national titles don't put the freshman in who hasn't played a lot at the end of the season unless they have some real plans for him. So I think you hit the ball on the head right there with Adama Ball, pardon the pun. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, real quickly, and then I wanted to get to our top five players, and I wanted to get to your uniform. I wanted to get your thoughts oh. on your uniforms. But well, let's let's go uniforms first. My guy, I'm Kenny, too excited. My guy Kenny Abbey is the biggest uniform guy ever, and I told him I'd shout him out here. But thank you. You were well. You were right there on the front lines. Don't mess with the good thing. Going back to what just the there, there's there's greatness in simplicity, and those '90s jerseys are simple and they are great. Your thoughts? Yeah, and there's there's polarizing options and choices and perspectives on uniforms, right? Do you stick with with what is consistent because your brand stands alone and you don't need to tinker it? Ah, but the recruits, the young guys, they love a little new, a little flash. You sprinkle in the new and the flash. You stick with the logo. Right. You stick with the brand. And let's be honest, a gradient should never be on a uniform ever again. <laughs> Football had it on their numbers. Basketball had it on their shoulders right. and their shorts. And it it created a purple hue. I, You know, it just was awful. We not talking about that anymore, excited about where they're going to be headed back. And I think there's going to be some throwback options sprinkled into a very consistent look uh, that Arizona basketball fans of the last three decades will love, appreciate, and remember. The Damon and Khalid look from that Final Four team. I love the red jerseys. Every time I see those, I just get excited. Uh, you know, the, the red jerseys are polarizing. You know, there's a lot of folks that I remember in 2001, we had the we had all three. We had white, red, and blue. And, and I was the director of Ops in 01 at the time. So I was kind of involved in talking to the players about what, what do you want to wear. Uh -huh. And most of the time, we went red. If the opposing team, like let's say when we played Washington, Washington State on the road, right. you'd go red against Washington, no red in their unis, blue right. against the Kooks because no no blue in their unis. Uh, but we ended up struggling, it felt, in those really? red unis okay. in some cases. So we got a lot of feedback of, you know, burn the reds, burn the reds. But people don't remember uh, that 94 team, you know, the, the road jersey was them. red. It got right. us to a Final Four. Let's not lose sight of that. And those were clean. Lots of people love the 97 look with the, the big sidebar mm -hmm. down the side, yep. cats and the, right. the Wildcat basketball logo. Uh, I believe there's going to be a combination there of exactly where your head it's not going to be all 97 iconic championship look. They're going to tie in some of the early 90s looks of the cats just, uh, you know, horizontally versus vertically. But those were clean with Damon and, and Lid. All right. So speaking. Oh, by the way, Khalid was in town this year. Khalid looks fantastic. Good guy. Great right. kid. I mean, it, he did look like he could put up 40 on Michigan again. Yeah, it, it really did for sure. Okay. So we're now let's talk our top five teams of all time in U of A history. Um, well, let's let's start off with we'll we'll start off at the top and go backwards because you mentioned 01. 01 to me is the best team that I've ever seen here. Um, I know you didn't win the title, but it crossed off every single box. You had the point guard, you had the two, the small forward, everything clicked. And what I always tell people when they ask me this, Rhino. This is the only time in U of A history where you had five preseason top 50 Wooden Award guys. And honestly, these were five of the 25 best players in the country, not five of the top 50. Everything just fit there. That, to me, is the best team in school history. Yeah, I uh, 
I will start with this, right? I'm going to go modern history, right? Because I don't right. know enough, albeit I think I'm pretty well versed in Arizona basketball history. I wouldn't want to, to discredit the guys that played in the 50s right. or, or early no years. Uh, there's some, and we'll get to some of that as e even the 70s. I'll throw in a team mm -hmm. that I think could be in the top five okay. uh, in, in this conversation. But I'm agreement with you on 01. When you go across the board from not only uh, hype coming in, talent, um, all the tools, all of the pieces, right? You had dynamic scores, elite level defenders. Like I'm talking all time U of A history in these right. categories. Shot blocker, defender in Richard Jefferson, shot blocker in Lauren Woods, defender in Richard Jefferson, score in Gilbert Arenas, point right. guard from a an Iron Man status in Jason Gardner. I've thrown this stat out to you. Second most yeah. minutes played in NCAA college basketball history behind Danny Manning is Jason Gardner. So when you look at those all time guys and oh, by the way, Michael Wright, I wouldn't I don't know if there's another power forward in our in our time oh. offensively that I would trade him for that team with the experience coming off the bench. Uh, while it may not statistically have been the most dominant in every category or record wise, you would look back right. and say, God, they didn't win as many games or they, right. they lost more than they should. When you throw in uh, the adversity that that team had to face with the passing mm -hmm. of, of Cocho's wife, Bobby, during the year, mm -hmm. uh, when you take that into account and see, well, they still went to the national title game. How right. in the world did that happen? Uh, that's where I think 01 separates itself. And I also tell people is this, and I could be wrong. I've always felt that Duke team was actually Coach K's best team. Now, he's had some really good teams. But I just remember that was the only team that I looked at. I'm like, man, they have as much talent as we do. Because you had Jason Williams. You had Battier. You had Dunleavy. You had Boozer. You had Chris Duhon. I don't generally get into officiating, but that was obviously a, a not well-officiated game. I'll put it exactly. to you like that. Um the Jason Williams play would have totally turned everything. So uh, I'm totally with you on that. I always tell people I, I don't have I, – I like – I read a lot about it, but I don't have the frame of reference to accurately put, go pre-Olsen. Total tip of the cap to everything that happened, Fred Snowden. Um, but my lists are generally Olsen on just because I feel that I can speak with a little bit more of a, you know, an idea of it. So who do you got at number two, Rhino? Uh, this is where it gets challenging for sure uh, I, no doubt. for me, at least, because do you value the team that actually won the national title? Uh, do you value in year dominance mm -hmm. uh, on both sides of the ball? Um, this is where I, I may go off what most would say. I think the 88 team is number two for me. Uh, and their statistical dominance on the offensive and defensive end of the floor uh, is rivaled actually only by this year's Tommy Lloyd's right. team right. Uh, is and they were just so dominant in their in their season. They only lost three games. They did get to the final four. So they they're checking off boxes for me. You had a player of the year level caliber guy in Sean Elliott to me, best player in the history of Arizona basketball. So mm -hmm. when you start adding those pieces in and look at what those guys did post-career, like to right. see where they took it, and that's part of, of for me, best team ever, uh, there's a lot of talent on that team as well. Right. And when you look at that front line, when you're going, when you got AC, when you got Tom Tolbert, an underrated guy when you think about it, because Tolbert mm -hmm. absolutely annihilated North Carolina in that Elite Eight with J.R. Reed and whatnot. I have no problem putting it there. Plus, there's a nostalgia, a nostalgia aspect to it For that sure. 
88 was really when Arizona arrived, I think, on the national scene where, yes, everybody knew about Ludols and you had had some success, but 88 where it's like, boom, you got hit in the face and you realized that, and you're probably not going, and they obviously never looked back. All right, three and four, interesting for me, because I went back and forth here. I go 97-98 at number three. Um, 97-98 to me, and I told this to Doug Gottlieb, and uh, talk about a name drop right there. Um, <laughs> I told this to Doug Gottlieb, and he got to thinking about it. He says, I think you might be right. I will always say this, and you are obviously there, so you can speak to this. 97-98 is the greatest collection of college perimeter talent of the modern era. Here's what I mean by that. You've got a first-team AP All-American point guard in Mike Bibby. You've got a first-team AP All-American two-guard in Miles Simon. Your small forward is third-team All-American. And, oh, yeah, by the way, you have a future national player of the year as your sixth man. Just one year removed, too, right? It's the following year. year that he does that. Correct. I will put that against any team, any anybody, and I'm going to feel very comfortable about the accolades coming back on my side there, Rhino. I, I started my list, right, of, of the years. And you and for me, again, easy start, Final Fours. Who took us to the Final Four? But this is where you got to dig deeper, right? That's no why 98 is in there and not 97. They right. won the title. That's easy to go to. But, boy, that the 98 team was exceptionally dominant on the perimeter. And, right. and that's I, I had not thought of it in those terms, Mike, about potentially the best collection of perimeter talent in modern basketball history at the college level. I, I don't think you're too far off there. And it would be very difficult to, to create an argument. And it would be that it would right. be an argument. Uh, those the talent level that was there, the production, what those guys were able to do was unbelievable. Uh, I love the 98 team in, in that spot and would have a hard time saying that 97 deserves it or any other group because any team that didn't make the final four, uh, you know, 98 lost in the right. elite eight. So they did have extreme success. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love that pick. I can't, I can't argue that one. Okay. So did you go, did you go them three as well? I had them at, at three as well. I actually did. Uh, there's a couple, it was hard for me to get there though. Cause I just, there's a couple other teams in here right. that I don't want to overlook. Okay. Well let's, uh, let's hit it four. I go 89 at number four. Oh, I love that you went 89. Uh, you know what? what, 29 what you and, well, uh, at, this is where it gets a little dicey. Right, I went, right you don't have to explain. You okay. just hit, you throw okay. out there, my man. The, the number four, and it may be more cause I was a part of it. I go with the Oh three team. Okay. Uh, I, I have the five, by the way. Dude, okay. So we're not too far off. Let's talk about your pick, the 89 team, mm-hmm. National Consensus Player of the Year in Sean Elliott, uh, right. 17 and one in the conference, lose on a heartbreaker in the Sweet 16, only lose four games all season. Right. Uh, so the dominance that's there is, is unbelievable. I don't have them there because I, uh, Kenny Lofton to me at the point guard, very good. Right. But if you and I were to rank point guards in Arizona history, he's not in the top five. No doubt. No uh, doubt. He was exceptional for what he was. Uh, and then when you look at some of the other overall talent, it's just a little bit of a drop-off for mm-hmm. me after Sean Elliott that's too right. big. Right. Uh, the 0-3 team, when you're bringing, again, Andre Iguodala off the bench, he can't crack the starting lineup. Well, Sean Adams off the bench. Sean Adams off the bench. That's two of your primary guys off the bench. And you look at – Luke Walton is a fifth-year senior and what he then became, and Ricky mm-hmm. Anderson is a fifth-year senior. Jason Gardner is a senior. Uh, I just uh, 
And Sotomayor is your shooting guard. What we did, and, and still maybe one of my favorite non-tournament basketball games of all maybe time. In Kansas, maybe in Kansas? Maybe at Fog Allen, right? The, you know, lots of uh, guys, we've talked about comebacks and, and important games and wins. That win at Fog Allen on January 25th, right? This was late in the year, right. uh, was was a comeback for the ages, but a dominant half performance that I've, I've probably never seen other than that game. Uh, it's just, that's a special team for me as the 03 group. Yeah, and, and the thing about it too, and I, I believe I'm right on this. I believe that team spent the most weeks number one out of any of the Olsen teams. I, I could be wrong, right. but I think that I, I think I'm right on that one too. And that team, like you said, that just had that just had everything. And again, we didn't even mention Channing Fry, who was certainly an, an underrated guy in that. Let me ask you though about uh, being in Fog Allen at that time. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Because you've obviously been to a lot of U of A basketball yeah. games where you're going against, again, this is Pete Kansas. This is Roy Williams, uh, you know, right before he heads off to Carolina. Things are at the top. Have you ever been in a performance or seen a performance like that where the, you know, the opponent is basically just deflated by the time you go out of there? Amazing to think everything you said. Kansas is number five in the country at mm -hmm. the time. We're number one. Uh, obviously, they end up beating us in the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four and, and losing the title game. So clearly talent. Right. Um, they're not dumb. Halftime ceremony. Let's retire Paul Pierce's jersey at halftime. Right. right. I mean, so yeah. they knew it was a big game. It was a CBS orchestrated game. This, you know, I was doing the scheduling at the time. So I worked with a guy named Mike Oresco, who is, is well known in the industry. He was the college basketball scheduler for CBS. So uh, Luton Roy had a great relationship, but CBS came and said, let's get this done. We've got a window, January 25th, let's knock this out. So it was as hyped as anything right. uh, that, that I've ever been a part of. The loudest arena I've ever been in. Uh, it was Fog Allen that day and that the polarizing first half and second half performances of each of the teams uh, was unbelievable. It is, as I talk more and more about it, again, outside of the significance of tournament games, it's probably my favorite game in Arizona basketball history that I was a part of in person. You know, I don't know that there's a guy that has more signature game slash moments than Salim Stoudemire. You know, for a guy that never made the Final Four, and again, that's, I'm not demeaning him for that, right. but, I mean, there are so many moments, Salim Stoudemire moments there, and that obviously is probably the apex, maybe the arrow in a flawless shot, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's certainly somewhere in there. Um, I am honored that we have the same five, obviously, in a few different orders, but... You wanted to talk a little bit of honorable mentions as well. What do you what do you yeah, got? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go back, right? The 1976 uh -huh. team mm -hmm. uh, uh that Fred Snowden took us to. Let's think about this. That yep. was an elite 8 run mm -hmm. at a time where there were no at-large bids in the NCAA right. tournament. You had to win your conference to get in, and there were no neutral site games. Uh, so Arizona had to play UCLA on the Elite Eight at Poly Pavilion. That's a right. road game to right. get to the Final Four. So to get be in that position 
uh, is phenomenal. They had a, an NBA draft pick and one of the potentially one of the top five players in Arizona history and Bob Elliott mm-hmm. at the time, the best uh, For sure, no at doubt. that time, you know, goes on. Let's not lose sight of this fact. He is, I believe he may have even was a roommate for a short period of time with Dr. J. I think he was. Yes. So, so let's not forget, right. There's some talent, there's some skill, there's some, some success. So that 76 team, you might have, uh, pre-loot the best rebounding forward in the history of Arizona basketball with Al Fleming mm-hmm. on that team. Uh, I have high, high admiration for that group as an honorable mention candidate. I believe it was uh, Lute Olson in his book that said that uh, Fred Snowden also showed that, you know, if you win at Arizona, the people will show up there. So, I mean, that's certainly something that I think gets overlooked in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. How about this one? Three years prior to that team, and and to to piggyback on your point, Arizona's playing in Bear Down Gym. Fred Snowden's Mm -hmm. the coach, but Mikhail plans and construction are underway. Right. And I believe capacity at Bear Down might have been around 3,500 people. You open up Mikhail, 13,000 people. You go middle of of the year. So the opening game was February 1st of of 73 against Wyoming. And you Uh go from bear down the game before to McHale in the middle of the year, they sold McHale out. Okay. So that tells you exactly what you said about Fred Snowden, creating the plan, putting it into place that if that doesn't happen, loot's not here. Correct. Lute's not here. You and I aren't talking right now. And loot and as you know, loot was no dummy. He had a good thing going at Iowa. I mean, it's not like, you know, he was just, man, I just got to get out of here as quickly as it. Now, I think that maybe in Iowa, you didn't have the upside that maybe you would have it in Arizona. But, you know, I mean, Lute's not looking. Nobody's pushing Lute out of Iowa to go to Arizona. So, yeah. you know, a team that they're they're always the punchline to a question or to a, an answer. But I want to th- I'm going to give some love right here to 92, 93. I know you oh, lost. I, it's on my list. I know. Well, you know what? Great minds think alike, Rhino. I listen, everybody knows what happened with Santa Clara. You know what they also don't remember? This team was a two seed. They went 17 and one. You had a 20 game winning streak. And we were just talking about some of the greatest perimeters in school history. And obviously Damon was a little bit younger, but Rhino, I'm throwing out a starting lineup on the perimeter of Damon Khalid and Chris Mills. It doesn't get much better than that right there. I have, have said this with you before. I think Chris Mills might be the most underrated Arizona player of modern history. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pac-12 player of the year. When he, the Pac-10 player of the year, mm-hmm. when he left, he played here three years. So put this in perspective. Played at Arizona for three years. When he left, he was in the top 10 in scoring right. uh, all time as an Arizona Wildcat. And nobody else had played just the three years. So his impact on Arizona basketball is understated mm-hmm. uh, historically. Needs to be talked about more. Uh, uh, and then you've already touched on uh, Thunder and Lightning, as they were called, Damon and Khalid, right. and what they could do. But that 20-game win streak, you'd be hard-pressed to find many other 20-game winning streaks in Arizona basketball history other than that one. Uh, what did they lose? Four games, I think, is right. all they mm-hmm. lost all year. Um, I was a stat guy for that team. I had yet to join the managerial staff, but I was doing stats in the stands. Uh, Coach Roz tapped me to do that. And so talk about fun stats uh, to, to watch what what Chris Mills and, and Damon and Khalid could do. You know, Ray O's exceptional uh, power forward. That was a very, very good team. Let, let's throw in the other one that, mm-hmm. that I think is – I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. Tommy Lloyd's team this year. No doubt. Needs honorable mention for its dominance, for its record, for its 
uh, ability to put teams away and just ran into an absolute buzzsaw in Houston, bad matchup, but was for all intents and purposes, good enough to get us to the final four for sure. Oh, and, and again, too, it reestablished Arizona basketball. And I think what Tommy Lloyd also showed, too, and uh, I was talking about this with somebody the other day, Arizona now is a three. And again, th this isn't meant to diminish Fred Snowden because of how good, obviously, he was very good. But on the national scale of, you know, mo modern play, Arizona is now a three coach school with three coaches that have had big time success here. Obviously, Luke, the goat, Sean Miller had a very nice run here. Absolutely. Tommy Tommy Lloyd as well. So it's not anymore. It's not that that uh, Georgetown or that Syracuse or that UNLV where it's like, okay, I mean, you had one really good coach. Arizona, by any stat, by any metric, is a program. And I think Tommy Lloyd, the fact that he was able to do it this quickly as well, also shows you just the, uh, the uniqueness of what Arizona basketball is. Yeah, and I'm so appreciative of what he's been able to do because by all accounts, this was a bigger turnaround than what he made it look like. Right. Uh, and he does help the brand of Arizona basketball uh, continue to be nationally known. He's a sly guy, though. I remember during the press conference to, to start the season, and I, 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 I can't remember who asked him it, but he said, I expect us to be good. He said, I've been around good teams. I know what good teams look like. And then the Coloco projection was awesome where he said, yes, I think he can absolutely be the defensive player of the year in the conference. So boom, right? <laughs> boom. So everything he said kind of came to fruition there. So, yeah. And he, and he, he held his cards as any coach would in, in that preseason press conference. It's not going to say, yeah, we are, we are un, no doubt a, a PAC 12 title contender, but right. uh, you know, that's something for him now in year two and three and beyond is to continue that. And that is the mark of a, of a great program. It's why we look back at loot with such fondness is consistency is you yeah. are consistently in the conversation as one of the best teams in the country every year. I wonder if we'll ever see something like that again, where you're, you have essentially a 25 year run where you're never less than a five seed. I mean, in this day and age with the portal, uh, with uh, the way that guys move, I don't know that we'll ever see that again. Right. When now. you get guys like, how about the surprise retirement of Jay Wright? Uh, right. You could have looked at Villanova as one of those. And even then there's, he missed the tournament a couple of years in his run, but just the, the nature of college basketball being so unique. Now coaches, players aren't staying as long as they used to. What a run. Uh, and, and you hit it. We all love uh, Arizona basketball fans look fondly on those years and love loot for it. But still, some of the stats still kind of stagger me a bit to think about never below a five seed uh, for for the for that run until the very end. Of course, right. part, yeah. part of it, there was there was some higher seeds in there. Yeah. Rhino, I can't thank you enough, my man. Um by the way, the best, the coolest summer job in the world, by the way, your full-time gig. Just remind people again real quick what you do again and where they can contact you. I am, I'm helping orchestrate a company that plans vacations for a right. living. That's what we do. So if you want to reach me, rhanson at bvtravel.com. Just shoot me an email and I'll get you to the right people. If you're looking to go and stay in an over-the-water bungalow in Tahiti or you want to do a Mediterranean cruise, that's our wheelhouse. I got you covered. He's Ryan Hanson. I'm Mike Luke. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.